It's time to become a member of Playvolution HQ and Exploration's Early Learning. There's a free option and three paid patron-level options. All come with free stuff and ongoing automatic training and merch discounts. For as little as a dollar a month, you can become a patron. That supports our work and you get premium stuff like early access to fresh podcast episodes. Go to explorationsearlylearning.com slash membership or click the link in this episode's description to learn more. All the cool listeners are doing it. On with the show. Girl podcast, Jeff Johnson coming to you live from upstairs studio in studio via the Zoom. Nicole Halton, how you doing, Nicole? I am fantastic. How are you? I'm great because today my intestines didn't squirt out of my butt. Well, that is great. <laughs> what an achievement. <laughs> Look, any day that that doesn't happen is a bit of a win, I reckon. Yeah, well, I've got uh, my, 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 my current schedule is on... Uh, on Mondays and Wednesdays, there's a there's a slight chance my intestines might squirt out of my butt. So um, it's just you know we're at the end of Monday. We made it through the made intestines the squirting out of my butt part um, of the day, and um, and so it's been a good day. That is a good day. I look, you've got to celebrate small wins, and if that's what it is for a Monday, then go with it. Go with it. <laughs> Not gonna ask why, are you? <laughs> no, no. Okay, we'll leave it there then. Listeners, we're back with uh, another episode of our of our of our um, uh, early math skills series. First one, we talked about things not to do to help kids develop math skills, and that was things like uh, worksheets and flashcards and and that's that kind of thing. Uh, this episode, I wanted to talk a little bit about one, the importance of physical development, and two, the importance of of creating a environment where kids feel safe and secure so they can relax enough to learn and that might not sound like learning math but I mean the and and look these things fall into place for learning everything if you want a kid to become a reader they need to develop physical skills and and blah 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 but I I think uh we we needed to throw this one in there and then after that we'll get into visual discrimination and language and problem solving and spatial sense and measuring and all that kind of stuff so um Nicole this might be a real short episode um is it important for kids to develop things like their their sense of balance and their proprioception and uh, kinesthetic awareness and small and large muscle control and hand-eye coordination and all those kind of things if they're going to end up to be uh, uh, uh users of mathematics short answer yes Okay, Stop. well, that, there's the That's episode. There we uh, we talked about my intestines falling out of my butt, and we wrapped up this. So, uh, and I think uh, we spent more time on that. Yeah, maybe we should that. maybe we should unpack this a little bit more. Okay, let's unpack it a little more. I think it's one of those things that I wish I had known when I first started in early childhood just how important that stuff was. And I think 
when I was doing like my training early on, it was very, development was very compartmentalized. So it was, here's your physical development over here and that's physical development. Here's emotional development and that's it there. And here's social development. And here's, you know, like it was very compartmentalized Mm -hmm. and there wasn't a strong emphasis on how one area might impact another and that need for that. And I think it wasn't until quite a lot a long time after that that I started to, I started to see it myself and it's I started to see it in children that I was caring for who needed more time outdoors and they these children thrived when they had that and they were actually able to engage in you know they could sit down and listen to a story or they could um you know, come and build a block tower or whatever after they'd had that that physical kind of time outdoors. And I I didn't understand what that was at the time. And I think I used to work with people who'd say, oh, they need to just get their energy out first and then they'll be able to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't so much that we had a really strict program of let's go outside and then when we come back inside, we're sitting down and we're doing algebra. Like we didn't have anything formal that they were expected to come and do but I did notice that the children's kind of focus and ability to to engage in something and you know Farrah Labors talks about like children's you know well-being and involvement and you know talks so much about that the levels of involvement for children and what we want to see in terms of a child being involved in something and I would see that so much more after children have been outside and been physically active and, you know, moving their bodies in different ways. And it wasn't then, I think, until um, I come across the work of Angela Hanscom going back you know, a number of years now and it started to make so much more sense that, you know, I'd heard a few things previously about, you know, the importance of, um, you know, I'd worked with children who had sensory processing disorders. I had, you know, worked with occupational therapists who'd actually come into our space and kind of, you know, showed us some things to do with children. But it was always like, oh, so this child's having trouble, you know, sitting for a group time. Let's get them a fidget toy. Let's get them a thing to sit on. Let's make, you know, there was always a thing we had to do at the time. And I think when I got introduced to Angela's work, it was more of a light bulb because it's actually it's not a thing that I need to give them or it's just opportunities to play and to move their bodies in the way their bodies are supposed to move and whether that's rolling down the hill or spinning around in circles which looks a little bit you know wild sometimes and I think oh my gosh why is that child spinning like crazy but it wasn't until I realized that actually that is doing stuff in the brain and doing stuff in the body that makes it so much easier for that child to then come in and engage and sit down and draw a picture or, you know, whatever that happens to be, they can actually do that because they've been and done this other stuff first. Yeah. So if we're talking about numeracy here, if you want to prepare a child to be able to in, in grade three, sit through their math lesson, 
they need in their early years, they need lots of opportunities to be up moving and doing things like you're talking about rolling yep. and spinning and, and heavy work where they're lifting and pulling and, and that kind of stuff, because that's building their, their spatial awareness. But uh, uh, what Angela talks about a lot is, you know, that, that in, inverting themselves, that's another one. Yep. Um, it, it's, it's developing their, their inner ear and their yeah. sense of balance. And, and, you know, it takes a, a it, 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 it takes a lot of, of work, a lot of self-control and body control just to sit in a chair. Yeah. And, and even, you know, it's that core strength that's yeah. required of being able to sit upright for a period of time. And, you know, you look at some adults and I, I will often say this to adults when I'm doing training around, you know, this sort of stuff. And I'll say, you know, if I said to you, sit down on the floor now, cross your legs and keep your back up straight. And I'm going to read you a story for half an hour. Tell me if you're still sitting in the same spot in 30 minutes time, mm -hmm. because chances are you're not because you don't have the core strength. And I mean, I sure as heck don't have the core strength, but you, we don't have that core strength that allows us to do that. And, you know, it requires that. And if children haven't had the opportunities to, you know, and I see so many children, I can remember when my daughter started kindergarten watching her on the monkey bars in their kindergarten playground. They had this great set of monkey bars and there was like two children that could actually hold their own weight on the monkey bars and get across the monkey bars. She was one of them and she's always been a bit of a monkey, so, you know, holding on to things, hanging upside down, whatever. So I wasn't surprised. And there was one other child that could do it. The rest could get themselves onto one thing. They couldn't get to the next at mm. all. And you know, there was this real lack of upper body strength. And, you know, it, that I find really concerning because we're now expecting those same children to go and sit down and sit at a table for, you know, an hour at a time. or And whatever. be able to manipulate they, a writing utensil. Yeah, you know, like, and, and take in all the, all the things that are happening around them and, you know, all those other things, even just from a focus point of view, like it's so hard to do that. And, you know, I think when we're not giving children those big body physical experiences, we're setting them up to fail. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that, I mean, it, it sounds kind of weird if just hearing, well, you need lots of, you need lots of uh, activity, lots of, lots of large and, and small muscle activity, lots of spinning, lots of climbing as, as part of your, your, your learning math. Um, but, but look, if you, if that's the foundation, that, yeah. that that's the that's the the least we can do because if you if you end up being six years old and you can't sit still I mean you physically can't sit yeah. still because you haven't developed your your inner ear or your core strength and and you haven't refined your fine motor skills because that involves strong core and then strong muscles in the shoulders and upper arms and then the the forearms and then finally the small muscles in the hand and wrist you're not going to be able to sit in school and listen through the the instruction and do do the stuff that's expected and and, and look maybe we can we I mean that's a whole other discussion whether we should be doing a lot of seat work work in elementary school when it comes to mathematics, but um, a lot of times they are. And, yeah. and when kids get older, we expect them to, to sit more. And that's just the way most, uh, most schools work. Um, and, and even if they're learning math other ways, they, they need their bodies to, to function correctly. And I think it's that we try and jump 
Like it's like we try and go from zero to a hundred. So sure. it's like I want to go from we're not doing anything and we're little and you know it's all good and whatever. To oh my gosh, they're starting school. I need them to be able to hold a pencil and write. But I've done none of the other prep work that's going to get their body to that point. And yet I'm expecting that it'll get there. And you know it is. It's funny. I talk to a lot of parents about you know that transition to school, like from early childhood and that is one of the things that I say the most is that they need play and they need big body experiences. They need opportunities to move their entire body and to roll down the hill if that's what their body says that, that it needs to do and to, you know, swing off things and to hang upside down off things and to move heavy things and, you know, all of that physical stuff because otherwise they're in for a pretty rude shock, you know, like they're in for a rude shock when their body's expected to do something so little and focused when it's, you know, writing, you know, whether it's filling in a maths worksheet or whatever, it's required of them, but they can't do it because they haven't built it up. You know, they haven't built that whole body experience. Yeah. So, I mean, standing outside in the playground, holding hands with three or four friends and going around in a circle until you all are so dizzy, you fall down is, is a pre-math activity. Um, laying, laying down in your belly on the swing and twisting yourself up and then letting yourself unwind the other way is a pre-math activity, uh, climbing up a rope that's hung down the, uh, the slide where you're climbing up the slide and, and using your arms to, to kind of like you're a a mountain climber, uh, climbing up the slide that way is a pre-math activity, uh, rolling, rolling down the hill is pre-activity, pre-math activity, playing with, uh, with ramps, uh, hauling buckets of sand. All of those things are pre-math activities when you and most when of you those things see them that way most of those things that you've just said are things that we shut down yeah yeah well, you know actually actually yeah a lot of the stuff that we should be doing to to support this this early math learning which is what we're talking about in this series but but also everything else the literacy and the social skills is is uh, it's uh, i mean the rough and tumble play the 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 risky play the climbing of trees the 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 inverting yourselves hanging upside down all of these kind of things are, are, are types of play that are often banned. And yeah. they're also the types of play that are that are most beneficial for developing these physical skills. Yeah, and that's it. We shut them down because it's like, oh, no, it's dangerous. But actually, it's more dangerous if we don't have them. You know, it's more of a, more of a risk that actually we're going to get to a point where these children can't actually sit and learn. They can't engage. They can't you know, do the things that are expected of them, whether we think that that's the way they should be taught or not. And, you know, I'm a big advocate for schools actually taking math outside. Like even in the older years, I think, you know, go outside and measure some shit. Like, you know, do you have to do it sitting at a desk or, you know, whatever. But but the reality is, is for a lot of kids, that is what, what happens is they end up sitting at a desk and yet we've not equipped them to do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I mean, then then where are they going to get it? Because if they didn't get in their early years, and they're they not getting it in school. their elementary years, then then they're not getting it. And then we, well, I mean, there was a I talked, I can't remember who I was recording with uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there's a there's a news article here that the U.S. military is having a problem with the Nintendo generation because uh, new recruits are are having a they've had an increase in broken bones 
because wow. because because these young people spent their their childhoods playing uh, uh, Mario Kart or or some other video game instead of moving their bodies, and so they've got that they've got brittle bones because they. Yeah. they they haven't put it up, they haven't put them up against any resistance. And so there's, there's all kinds of benefits to this physical activity. Uh, well, not just it's the, funny, the- actually, a friend of mine was saying, and she's an early childhood educator as well. Her son's the same age as my son. So he's in kind of, um, I don't know what the equivalent is, but he's at the end of what we call primary school here. And he, she lets him every morning before school, he gets organized, packs his stuff. And then he gets on his bike and goes for a ride, you know, around the neighborhood because she said if he doesn't have that physical movement in the morning, his whole day is just a challenge. You know, he finds it really hard to sit and focus and to do the work that's expected of them. And so she's realized that that's a strategy for him. And, you know, so many of the families that I talk to say that, that their children actually need to get outside. And for them, it's often, you know, the terminology that she uses, oh, go and burn some energy off or, you know, whatever they need to do that before they can go to school. And I think, wouldn't it make a big difference if we actually did some of that at the start of a school day with children, you know, and I've just, uh, my kid's school has just put in, or they're putting in a new playground and it's got, you know, a flying fox and some other like kind of big body stuff. And, I'll be interested to see, you know, whether the children are allowed to use it in the mornings before school starts and if that makes a difference, you yeah. know, does that help the children then focus and be able to sit down and do the things that are expected of them? Yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing I wanted to touch on in this episode is the the emotional environment side of things, because um, it, it's it's very clear that kids need to feel safe and secure and valued and appreciated and loved in an environment before they're going to relax enough to be able to take learning risks. And so if we want them to become math learners, that emotional environment we create for them is important too. I mean, this is, this is the, the lower level Maslow stuff, right? Making sure yeah. those, those, those physical and emotional needs, needs are, are met. And um, if we, if we want um, to have kids become, grow up to be literate and uh, numerate, we need to make sure that they're, they're having those needs met. And, and again, you put, pushed, you touched on a little bit ago where we're living in a world where we, we tend to rush kids and push them and, and we want to, uh, we want them to jump ahead. And so sometimes our, our, our hurry to push is it, 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 it steals time away from the emotional and the relationship side of things, huh? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it is, it's so vital that children feel that they're supported in, you know, in in learning and that it's okay to be wrong or, and particularly when it comes to math, I feel like math's one of those big things where there is a right and a wrong, you know, it's not, it's not open to interpretation, like, you know, some other things that we might learn. And, you know, it is very black and white, there is a right way to have solved the problem and a wrong way. And there's an answer and there's a wrong answer. And that can feel risky for children to put themselves out there and say, well, this is how I would do it, or this is the answer or, you know, whatever. And so if they don't have that, that self-confidence and that, even a bit of resilience around you know if I do get it wrong yeah like am I got am I going to fall apart because I got it wrong or is it going to be oh cool I didn't get it but I'll I'll give it another go next time or whatever but if we haven't built those skills you know early on 
then it's much harder to deal with that. If that's the first, if your first experience of, you know, getting a wrong answer or being told, oh, that's not the right way to do it or whatever is, you know, when you're sitting learning math, very quickly you'll stop wanting to learn math. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people. Yeah, you kind of they kind of close down. And um, er, earlier today, I recorded an episode uh, with Lisa Murphy uh, about that kid. You know, you know <laughs> that, that kid, kid, the kid that crawls under your skin, the kid that pushes your uh, your buttons, the kid that uh, scratches your last nerve, the the kid that uh, that empties your toolbox. You run out of, uh, of of tools for dealing with them. The kid that questions you, the kid that uh, uh, pushes you to your edge. Um, this is this this part. This building the relationships is is often challenging with with the kids you get along with, and then the kids that that push your buttons. That kids the the that kids in your classroom can make this even even more challenging. And so you've really got to bring the best version of yourself into the into the environment every day if you're going to make sure that everybody's emotional needs are getting met. Yeah, and it's not definitely not always easy, especially when they are, you know, you feel like someone's pushing the buttons or whatever. It's not always easy, but it makes such a big difference. And, you know, I think that that sense of security for children to know that even if they are being that kid, that you're going to still be there for them. And, you know, they start to kind of build that bit of confidence and, and they tend to stop needing to be that kid because, you know, it's like actually I feel loved and supported and I don't need to pester you or I don't need to, you know, ask 40,000 questions or I don't need to do that because I'm getting what I need. Yeah. And I think that's a really, yeah, that's an interesting, interesting one. I can't wait to hear that episode. If you're, if you're, I mean, <laughs> if, you're if you're walking around, well, I mean, I could, you're special. I could probably send it to you tomorrow. Oh, um, I, I probably, <laughs> See, I'll probably forget. You'll probably forget. <laughs> um, but if you're, if you're walking around your, your preschool classroom feeling anxious and like you don't fit in and you don't belong, it, it's really hard for you to be interested in anything that's going on Absolutely. And, and to take, I mean, learning involves risk. You've got to put yourself out there and um, whether it's, it's trying something new physically or thinking different, but, but when you're, when you're stressed and anxious and frustrated and don't feel like you belong, you've got your, it's, you've got your shields up, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and you've got to be in an environment where you can let those shields down, let your defenses down to, to take those learning risks and try new things and to, to open yourself up cognitively. Well, it's funny because that links in really well with what we said earlier in the episode around the physical stuff, you know, like there is that research that kind of links our abilities as a physical risk taker, you know, children who are taking, and I'll have to find the actual research, so don't quote me on it, but children who take physical risks are more likely to then take like emotional and learning kind of academic sort of risks because they've developed that risk-taking disposition. And so we give children the opportunities to do that outdoors, to, you know, get that big body movement, to take some big risks. They're more likely to then transfer that risk-taking disposition into the classroom, you know, even into the early childhood setting, but then, you know, to carry that through as they get older, they're more likely to want to take some of those risks because they've learned how to risk assess and they've learned what their body's capable of and then subsequently what their brain's capable of. And, you know, they, they become far more likely to do that. And actually the article um, that I read about that, and I, I will find it, um, but it also talks about how as educators and as parents, we expect 
children to take more of the emotional and academic risks than we do with the physical risks. We're far more like we want to push them to do things, you know, step out of their comfort zone, go and make a new friend or, you know, try a different, you know, music, learn a musical instrument or whatever it happens to be. Mm-hmm. Take it, take those sorts of risks. We're usually more comfortable with that than we are with the physical risks. But I think there's such a good crossover between the two. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like things are interconnected. Isn't it? So listeners, to, to sum this up, uh, this is then episode two of this early math series. First time we talked about things not to do, uh, you can avoid the pressure and you can avoid the uh, the worksheets and the flashcards and that kind of stuff. It's a good idea to work on developing their physicality because they, they I mean, it's a whole mind-body connection and kids need a strong core and, and, and a good sense of balance and all that kind of stuff. And then beyond- It just got really noisy in Australia. Oh no. Could you hear it? I hear you got an echo. <laughs> it got really noisy here. <laughs> there we go. It's quiet now. That is weird. And then you have that emotional component where you're, you're making sure that Maslow stuff is taken care of and kids feel safe and yeah. secure in your program. And then in the next uh, episode of the series, we're going to, I think we're going to jump into visual discrimination and how we can in our early learning programs, how we can help kids discriminate visually. Um, and I know we're apparently not supposed to discriminate, but we need to discriminate it's visually. It's not a good thing, but I think when we can tie it in with math, it's okay. Yeah, I think I think visual discrimination is a good thing. Um, hey, listeners, we appreciate you tuning in. You need more Nicole in your life, go to inspiredec.com. If you need to know what I'm doing on Mondays and Wednesdays that make it, uh, you know. I, know, I kind of need to know now. You had your chance, um, but listeners, if you want to know, email me. What want to know what I do on Mondays and Wednesdays? That uh, that could. It's not likely, but my my intestines could shoot out of my butt. Um, just a little thing I'm up to. Uh, email me, and I'll I'll let you know. Are you like weightlifting or something? Yeah. You are. This has been the Childcare Bar and Grill. Back soon. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.